Welcome back to the John Deesbury Podcast. The John Deesbury Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and many more, as well as guided meditation programs. To kick off 2020, Audible is focusing on New Year, New You, and they have plenty of content that can help you pursue your goals, whether it's getting fit, finishing more books, or becoming a better parent, leader, or person. When you subscribe to Audible, you're going to get one credit, those two Audible originals I mentioned, and access to all of this content. Audible has been my go-to for the last 10 years for audiobooks, as well as other spoken word content, and I have loved it. My family and I recently listened to an Audible original while traveling down to California, and it was fantastic. Great, high quality, the same you're going to find with any of the audiobooks from their thousands of books collection. So, if you want to get a free month of Audible just to try it out see how you like it in in this quarantine scenario we're in. I can't think of a better way to spend your time. Visit audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast, and you will get that free month, that free book credit that you get to keep forever. Those two Audible originals and all the access to the news, the self-help, the personal care, the A-list comedy, theatrical performances, and wellness programs. So that is go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get your one month free. So now let's get into the chapter. Here we go. Chapter four, Link Access Manipulation Program. Chapter four. Zade was looking at a data mod when the door of the dwelling slid open. Latin shuffled in and lethargically unwrapped his scarf. His mood had been low, almost despondent since he'd returned from the palace nearly three days before. He hadn't said much about the experience with Malik and the Mecca delivery, at least nothing in any great detail. Not even to Zade. The atmosphere in the dwelling had been a little strained, to say the least. Simic was never one to pry into personal affairs. Heard anything? Laden said as he stuffed his scarf into his jacket pocket. Not yet, Zade replied gingerly. Laden dropped disappointedly into a chair and pulled a piece of flatbread from his robe, from which he tore a chunk and threw it in his mouth. I hope he's satisfied with her. We could all use those extra credits, Laden said with a full mouth as he chewed pensively. Zade turned away from her monitor. He's going to like her, Laden. You did a fantastic job. Yeah, well, that still remains to be seen, Laden replied as he bit off another piece of bread and reclined in his chair. Simic came into the room holding a data mod. Laden didn't look at his mentor. Okay, my dear, it's time for your update, Simic said. You finished it? Zade reacted exuberantly. Well, with the boy genius over here doing all the programming and pathway configuration over the last two weeks, I've had time to work on it. Laden quietly scoffed and rolled his eyes at Simic's compliment. I'm sorry it's so overdue. This should clean up the bugs you've been experiencing, Simic said as he slid a small data chip into the wall-mounted module in his workroom. Zade turned off her data mod and went into the workroom, pulling up a chair next to the data station where Simic stood. 
Is this going to fix the eye twitch? Lydon asked glumly as he too entered the room. Yes, Simic responded in a patiently annoyed tone. Good, that was getting a little out of control. Well, I'm sorry I've been so annoying to you, Ladin, Zade chastised teasingly. Maybe I should have worn an eye patch. She fluttered her eye as if trying to wink. Ladin sighed in shame. No, that's not what I meant, he said defeated. Well, you need to cheer up. He hasn't sent her back yet, so he must like her. We'll get the credits when we get the credits. It's not a big deal, right, father? Mm-hmm, Simic responded, obviously focused on Zade's update. Okay, my dear, let's have your wrist, he said, and Zade held up her left arm so that the veins under her wrist were showing. With her right thumb, she pressed at the base of her palm and the skin slid backward into the arm, revealing soft synthetic parts. Simic reached into the wrist with two fingers and pushed aside mecha veins filled with lubricants and power conduits. Beneath the tube that acted as the ulnar artery was a small port wire. He gently pried off the cover and extracted about 10 centimeters of cable from Zade's arm. It looked like a short whip hanging from her open wrist. Simic then plugged it into the data station's wall-mounted module. All right, you may want to sit down, love. This will take a while. Zade took a seat and relaxed completely. You know, that still jacks me out, Ladin said, shaking his head. What? Zade replied, her eyes closed. That you're a mecha. I've known you since you were a little girl. Every upgrade, every new body. I can't get over it. You're so not mecha. You have a problem with mechas? Zade asked with a playfully raised eyebrow. No, not at all. It's just you're so, I don't know, human. Okay, Simic interrupted. This mecha needs to take a nap, so if you two don't mind. Zade opened one eye and stuck her tongue out at Ladin. Simic tapped a few times on the data station display, and Zade's shoulders slumped like she had suddenly fallen asleep. She was off. Well, that should take only about 20 or so minutes. Simic commented as he sat down in one of the three dirty, stuffed chairs in the front room. What else is in that cocktail? Lydon asked as he swiped across the monitor of his own mod. Well, I noticed her speech processor slowing down, so I enhanced that. Her skin lubricant injectors behind her left knee were failing due to a ligament replacement. I didn't compensate for the additional friction, and she was getting dry spots. Do those dry spots hurt her? I mean, can she feel them? She has a sophisticated network of nerves. I honestly don't know what it feels like to her, but it is definitely irritating. She lets me know. He smiled and sighed, kicking his feet up on Ladin's parts crate. I'm sure you've told me before, but I forget. Why is she so human? I mean, she has personality, rationality, uniqueness. I don't know what you've done with her positronic web, but she's more human than a lot of people I run into claiming to be humans. She's been a work in progress for a lot of years. Simic replied. I've added to her web and network, but the most important difference, the thing I could never give any of my other mechas, is her core, her heart. Ladin looked curiously at his mentor. Her vascular pump? He asked, confused. Simic chuckled. No, no, my boy, her heart. I guess it's more like her DNA, the thing that is at the very center of what makes her Zade. Ladin shook his head. I don't understand. Well, you understand evolution in humans, right? Ladin nodded. As well as anyone, I suppose. You see, in every human strand of DNA is an entire species worth of evolution. All the necessary adaptations based on the combined experiences of that species. For example, the fight or flight instinct. That comes from eons of evolution. 
We no longer have to fend off wild animals, but that part of our history is still written into every fiber of our being. It comes from experience. Zade has something similar and unique built into her. Ladin leaned forward. How? The lines of code for something that extensive and specific would take, well, eons to write. Now you're catching on, Simic said, pointing a satisfied finger at Ladin. Then how did you do it? I didn't do it. Ladin fell backward into his chair and threw his arms up. You're not making sense, Simic. I don't want it to be easy. I want you to figure it out. Simic smiled with a cunning eyebrow wag. Ladin stared at him as his brain tried to grasp what Simic was saying. Okay, so she has DNA, but she's not human, so it's a code of some sort? Simic nodded. DNA is an organic code written into our genetic makeup. Human DNA is thousands of years old, thousands of years of evolution. Simic still smiled. How do you get thousands of years of experience in her without writing it out? Why would you even want to do that? Ladin said, shaking his head. It literally hurts my brain to think about it. Simic laughed again. Well, it was quite by accident. Ladin thought some more. Let me get you some tea while you think about it. Ladin didn't respond. He was in a pensive fog. He tapped his fist rhythmically on the arm of his chair. Is it part of her emulation process? Ladin called toward the kitchen. There was no response. Simic was already too far for his old ears to hear. As Ladin got back to thinking, a chime rang out from the control screen by the front door. He sat up and looked behind him to the kitchen. Simic? He said, but Simic was still out of earshot. He looked at the door and then back to the kitchen. I think someone's at the door, Simic, he said as he looked at Zade, still unconscious in the middle of her update. Ladin stood up out of his chair, walked to the control screen near the entry, and pressed the answer button. The screen lit up with the image of two uniformed men, but they were not from the Civil Patrol, as he was expecting. These were something different. Their uniforms were darker blue, and they wore no robes. Each man wore dark glasses and hats that shaded their necks and faces. They were secret security agents, part of Malik's own personal security squad. When the Sultan doesn't like your work, he sends his own agents. Ladin's heart sank into his stomach. Because Malik didn't like the Mecca, Simic would be receiving no credits. Was that the door chime? Simic asked as he ambled back into the room. Ladin looked at him sadly. Simic frowned and walked over to the screen to see the two agents standing outside. SS, that's unusual, Simic said with a sympathetic gaze at Ladin. Now don't get worked up yet, I don't see a crate he said softly as Ladin leaned his back against the wall out of view of the door. Their secret security, Simic. What else could it be? Simic thought for a moment. Well, let's find out, he replied. The door opened with a gush of hot air and Ladin stayed out of sight. If the agents were delivering the bad news he expected, he didn't have the nerve to talk face to face. Good day, gentlemen. What can I do for you? Do you know the whereabouts of one Ladin Shahara? asked one of the men rather gruffly in a tone that made Ladin hold his breath. May I ask what this is regarding? Simic asked politely. Mr. Shahara is wanted for the use of illegally obtained hardware in a government-commissioned service machine. We were informed that he stayed with you in this dwelling. Do you know where he is? The agent asked, his voice becoming more stern, almost robotic. It was the training. Ladin's heart suddenly pounded in his chest, his mind racing with a list of every part he had purchased for the mecha he and Simic built for Malik. There wasn't a single illegal part in her. He knew it. There had to be a misunderstanding. I'm sorry, I don't know where he is, 
He's a simple streetjacker. I only see him when he's looking for handouts, and he certainly doesn't stay here. Simic lied unsteadily to Ladin's surprise, and Ladin took that as his cue to run. Staying out of sight of the door, Ladin turned and quickly gathered up his data mod and ran to the back of the dwelling. He heard the agent say something unintelligible as he moved about the room, followed by Simic trying to buy more time. Now how would I know where a common streetjacker is in the middle of the day? He's been seen here in this dwelling, the other agent replied. I told you, that isn't true. He comes here for my spare parts, and that is all, the elderly man insisted as Ladin paused at the back door of the dwelling to listen closer. Then you won't mind if we take a look around, the first agent said in a gruff, monotone voice as he pushed past Simic and entered the house with his partner in tow. There are laws against illegal searches, Simic exclaimed as the man began to casually look around the dwelling. I told you, I don't know where he is, Simic repeated. You would be wise to take a seat, sir, while we search your dwelling. The second agent took Simic by the arm rather forcefully and pushed him into the chair Ladin had occupied moments before. Simic fell off balance and tipped over the chair, causing Ladin's parts crate to spill with a significant clamor. Ladin went back to the edge of the hallway at the sound of the commotion coming from the front room. Would you please leave? I don't know where he is. He isn't here. Simic said yet again, this time being quite out of breath. Ladin's fists clenched at the sound of Simic's struggle. As one of the agents bent down to help Simic up, the old man slapped his hand away. No thank you, he said angrily. I don't need your help or your abuse. The agent retreated from Simic and then bent down again. He lifted a small piece of blue silicon, similar to a small cap with tiny tubes like synthetic hair sprouting from it. Captain, take a look at this the agent said to his superior. The captain took the small part and held up a scanning device to it. Violet light shot out from the scanner, lighting up the android hardware. In bright blue, a small code appeared, like a serial number embedded into the cap and the readout on his scanner filled with text. This is a stolen neural insulator and positronic relay system taken from a mecha trading liaison. In fact, this one's fresh. According to the database, Mr. Tahira, this was stolen only two days ago. Do you make it a habit of perusing the black market for your parts? Enjoy the gut, old man, the subordinate agent retorted. That was traded to me. I only just got it last night. I was going to report it. Simic lied again, not at all certain what it was Ladin had in his mystery crate of parts. Listening to the interchange, Ladin wasn't sure why Simic was defending him. He hoped Simic trusted him enough to know that something was fishy about this raid. There wasn't a single illegitimate part in that crate and there certainly wouldn't have been one in Simic's dwelling, regardless of what the agents asserted. Are you sure it doesn't belong to your jacker friend? No, it's mine, but I told you... Ladin had had enough. He couldn't allow the old man to be abused for his sake. He tucked his data mod into his shoulder bag and rounded the corner back into the front living space. Hey, grid suckers, he said as he came out. Why don't you pick on someone your own brain size? I think I saw a couple of dogs outside in the alley. Maybe you could go rough them up. The captain recognized Ladin and reached for his shock baton. Ladin Shahara, you're under arrest for the illegal harvesting and acquisitioning of stolen goods that are the property of East Continent Trading and Telluride Associates and placing them back into service meccas. You are hereby detained and relegated to the prison facility in Bag City Central. Anything you say can be held to your detriment in tribunal. The captain moved quickly to apprehend Ladin. Simic still laid on the ground. No, stop, he's just a boy. Those are my parts he pleaded, holding out a hand. 
Ladin backed away from the baton that was pointing straight at him. Well, I've only got one thing to say anyway, Ladin said, his eyes darting between the agent's gaze and the immobilizer in his hand. Go to hell, Ladin exclaimed as he ran directly at the captain, knocking him to one side, his body armor colliding directly with Ladin's comparatively bare shoulder. The shock baton fell to the floor. Inside, Ladin's shoulder felt like a boiling lava explosion, as he was certain a bone was most likely broken or dislocated. With a swinging foot, he kicked the subordinate officer in the chest, sending him to the ground. Ladin, no, stop! Simic called from the floor. When he turned to look at his struggling friend, Ladin felt two very strong arms wrap around his shoulders, and his body was suddenly thrown backward, feet flying over his head. When he hit the ground, he was on top of the captain, and his lungs felt as though they had been folded inside out. The subordinate had recovered and was already standing over him with his shock baton in striking position. Unable to breathe, only one phrase came to mind. This is really going to hurt. Ladin tried for one last breath before the fiery pain of 10,000 volts knocked him unconscious. Okay, so that was chapter four of Link Access Manipulation Program. If I sound different in this podcast, it's because I am recording from my home office right now. Now that school is back in session, um, at least online for Oregon schools, um, I have office hours that I have to conduct. And basically, I sit on a computer and wait for my students to log in. And if they have questions, I answer those questions. But it has not been too active So here I am, sitting in my home office at my desk. I apologize, you're probably going to hear every echo, and you're probably going to hear every single car that goes by because my home is not as soundproofed as I thought it was, and you might even hear my children running around in the background somewhere. So I apologize right now for that. But let's get into the chapter, chapter four. So chapter four, so we've already been introduced to the antagonist, now we're getting into the action. What I wanted for this book was to, I wanted to sort of, I learned a lesson from my second Immortal Light book. If you're familiar at all with my Immortal Light series, when I wrote that series, the first book I wrote sort of as a formula. I'd read a lot of young adult books, and I'm like, I could write this stuff, I could write a book that follows this formula. And it had a sort of... Um, There was a romance feature to it that was really prevalent in other books at the time that were popular at the time that I kind of left out of the second and third books because the first book, while it was a formula, it was not what I wanted to write. It wasn't something I was particularly interested in or really wanted to write about. I didn't want to do the whole romance boy-girl thing and and have to sort of deal with that drama. What I wanted to write was an adventure book with... uh, I don't want to say violence, but just action. I wanted to have action in it. And the second and third books of the Immortal Light series definitely are more action and adventure based. And that's what I wanted with this book, with Lamp, from the get-go. I wanted it to be an action-adventure book. I didn't want to dwell on romance Um, or even dwell too much on the relationships, even though I said that relationships of characters are are one of the things I love the most about a writing. I didn't want that to be what the story was. This this thing still has a story. This thing still has an adventure. And it's the development of those characters through that story and that adventure that makes it worth listening to. And so I wanted to get into the action. 
And I think I have the action started with this scene with, with Malik and Ladin where, or uh, with uh, where Ladin is arrested. Um, and he's arrested at Simic's home. And it, it's a, it's a, not a, a, a super violent um, incident. It's not, a, it's not a violent sort of thing, but it is aggressive. The aggression comes from the secret police of Malik's. And, and the reader is left wondering here, um, who are these guys? Was this necessary? Did he really put that stuff in the Mecca? And so now we have this dynamic and we wonder where this is going to go. And so I wanted to get into that in this. And I think that's really important. I am a big fan of the action adventure uh, uh, genre as far as like my own personal entertainment. I think what I can write is my strengths are, are probably there, but um, I've been told my strengths lie in relationships. My strengths lie in developing characters and with uh, like techno babble and techno jargon, and and that definitely comes from my my appeal. The appeal I I find in um, sci-fi and in um, dramas. So with that all being said. Um, the interesting thing about this chapter is we finally get confirmation about who or slash what Zade actually is, and we get that confirmation that she is a mecha. Zade is not a person. She's not a human. She is a robot. She is a mecha, and she has some uniqueness to her. Um, there was there were some very specific elements about her uniqueness. I wanted her to be human. I wanted her to be able to make decisions on her own. But as you've seen, there's been a couple of comments, um, a couple of statements by uh, Aladdin's observations, such as the the expression of perfect love for her father. So that's a very robotic thing. And how when she wouldn't step up and defend Aladdin earlier, we see that she was doing that out of robotic obedience to her father or to her maker. Um, so there have been some serious clues that she was a Mecca, and I think by now most readers and listeners have been able to pick that up. But yeah, Zadi's a Mecca, and I wanted her that way because I didn't want... And, and this is what's funny, is I did not want there to be that idea that she would be a romantic uh, partner with for Ladin because she's a robot. Um, yet when we get to the end of the book... I've had tons of feedback, lots of readers who were totally bummed um, that she's, you know, a robot and they're not going to get together. And I'm like, she's a robot. So if that's a spoiler, I'm sorry. Um, Zade is a robot. She's a mecha. But she is in, in the, one of the more integral characters in this book and will be in this series if I can ever get around to finishing it. So what I want to do is I want to get on to some more aspects of writing and just a little bit of my input. Again, I'm a nobody. I am one of millions of people who write books every single year in this world and who try to get them submitted for publication, who try to get agents. Um, but I think the majority of writers are probably in the realm where I'm sitting right now, where you have something completed. You have something you love. You have something you want to submit, but um, there's that sort of next step aspect to this there's a there's a uh, mystery to it so each for each episode i'm, I'm going to give you just a little tidbit of that but before we get to that i just want to remind you if you have any comments any questions and i've gotten a few questions on the website if you have any comments or questions about my, my books the writing process my experiences in writing how i've published how i've self-published um what that process looks like 
please go to johndsperry.com slash podcast, and there's a form at the bottom of that page where you can fill it out and submit questions to me. Anything you want to know um, that I would love to answer for you. So go to johndsperry.com slash podcast to get that. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at John D. Sperry for all three. I mostly operate on Instagram because one of my hobbies, side, my side gigs, uh, uh, is photographer. And I love photography. I love chronicling my life in photos. So um, I love Instagram. So uh, yeah, so follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at John D. Sperry. All right, so what I want to talk about first is how I started writing. I'm just going to go all the way back to the beginning. And I think it's an interesting story. And I believe I started telling this story uh, in episode one, maybe episode two. But the story um, begins when I was reading. My wife had introduced me to this book called The Hunger Games. I think maybe you've heard of it. Um, And she had read it. And she was on book two, I believe, at the time. So I was reading the first book. And as I was reading that book, and this is probably 2009, um, maybe before that, and I remember reading that story and thinking that this is a great story, but I, I, there's there's nothing mystifying about the writing here. There's nothing super undoable. And I'm like, and I thought to myself, I could write this. I could do this. I think I could write a book, and I think I'm going to try and the books that were popular before this, um, there was the Twilight series was super popular. Harry Potter, obviously, was super popular. My wife and I were married in 2001, and in that time, we had read all the Harry Potter books, and we had gotten into these other books like The Hunger Games and some of those some of those other things that were really popular at the time. And I remember thinking, I could do this. I could write these stories. I could. There's, there's nothing... You know that I couldn't do about this. I think I'm pretty good at coming up with a plot line and some characters, and and I really had no idea if that was true. I had dabbled in writing a little bit. I took a uh, uh, a detective fiction class, writing or a literature class in in college, and I loved it. I fell in love with the genre. I fell in love with the the hard boiled detective, and so I thought, oh, I'll write that. So <clears throat> I did that first, and I, I tried my hand at that. And, but the thing was, it's like decades before I was born, guys like Ross McDonald and Dashiell Hammett, even before him, um, had already mastered that genre, and they'd become the 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 founding fathers of the hardwell detective. And you know, going back even even centuries to uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, and and I, I thought I did an okay job on that story, but I never finished it because I lost my nerve and I felt like it wasn't going anywhere, and and. Uh, so I, I didn't do the detective thing. So I thought about some of these young adult books, like the Twilight books and the Hunger Games and even Harry Potter to a certain degree. And I thought, there's a formula here. There is something that these young adult writers have done with these sort of hero quest story. The the typical Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars, the, the where the un, unwitting and unknowing hero has a destiny that he must fulfill or she must fulfill. And I thought, I could do that. I will write that with a female protagonist. She'll be a teenager. Um, and she will discover a world that she didn't know existed right in front of her face. And she'll end up saving the world. And that's how my Immortal Light book, first book, started with my character Lucy. And 
And so I wrote according to that formula that I sort of made up. Take the hero quest, apply uh, young adult topics to it, throw some romance in there, make sure there's an element of uh, sort of superpower, and she ultimately has to save the world. And so I wrote it. And I got to the end of that book, and I felt proud of it, and I was really happy with it. But it it felt like exactly what I had done. It felt like a formulaic book. And the funny part about that is I submitted that that book to a couple of different places for professional review, and I was accepted by one in London um, where they reviewed it, and they gave it three out of five stars. And the funny thing was is they said there was nothing great about it, but there was nothing bad about it, that it felt like, a formulaic young adult book, and I couldn't believe it that they had they'd figured me out. And so, knowing that somebody could figure out my formula, I thought, you know what? I, I'm just going to the next book is going to be mine. I'm going to write this as what I wanted it to be, and that's going to be an action adventure book. And so, Immortal Light Two into Shadow uh, became exactly that. It became an adventure book. Um, I say. I sort of put the romance on the back burner. I got Lucy out of the town that she was in in the first book. Um, and I had her going out into the world. And that's what I wanted. And that's what I realized that's what I liked. And that sort of that directed my, my, my reading list to uh, the Lunar Chronicles. And I mentioned the Lunar Chronicles in a different podcast. And uh, like I already mentioned before... The Lunar Chronicles was taking a classic story and putting it in a modern or futuristic world and changing elements of fantasy to dystopia. And, I'm, and I thought, hey, I could do that. And hence we have Lamp. Um, so that's how I got started writing. It all started with Hardwell Detectives, moved into a pseudo uh, sort of Lord of the Rings, Aragon, uh, Twilight book. And became action adventure, which is what I really like. There was, you know, the Indiana Jones element. I much prefer an Indiana Jones story to a Star Wars story, to be very honest. Um, and so that's that's kind of where I'm at. This lots of discovery, lots of adventure, action, and some little bit of romance, a little bit of pain and anguish, a little bit of suffering. It's all there. So that's how I became an author. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. Thank you guys once again for listening. Um, I hope you come back. Remember, uh, you can offer suggestions to um, my website, johndsperry.com slash podcast. Write me some questions. I'll answer them on the podcast. And I'm going to start a new segment with the next episode. Um, it's going to be... Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about... Um, either a podcast or an audiobook or something in the audio realm that I really like. And I'm going to call it What's Good in Audio. Um, so that'll, that'll be a new segment. I figured I might as well make this official and have, have a format here. So I'm going to start a new segment called What's Good in Audio. And I'll recommend to you guys something that I've been listening to, maybe something I like and would recommend to you. So if you have any suggestions for that, something you might want me to listen to, uh, please make that a recommendation on johndsperry.com slash podcast as well. With that, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. 
This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John B. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio, found at Shutterstock.com. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.